What's going on, guys? In today's podcast, I'm going to discuss a variety of, well, a couple NFL topics as well as um, the Cam Newton thing that's going on with him right now. I guess he violated the COVID policy or something like that. But before I get into all that, I'm going to talk about uh, just some personal things with me. Right now, I'm still recording at my normal setup here for the podcast. And uh, I mentioned on social media the other day, I'm getting a sort of an upgrade in podcasting and equipment, et cetera. I'm getting, I have a camera now. I'm about to start doing some YouTube videos. It'll be basically the, the just so you know, the podcast every day at 8 a.m. will still remain the same. If anything, it might additionally be available on YouTube with a video version. That might be the only, you know, uh, difference or whatever, or I guess it's just a addition. And then as far as like the YouTube channel, what I'm really going to do with that primarily other than, other than podcasts probably are I'm going to have um, just like sometimes I'll do a film breakdown. If I'm like a few years ago, there was a, a Aaron Rodgers was a hot topic for me because I was saying that he's not playing at an elite level. And for those types of videos, I'll be that, that kind of stuff will go on YouTube, right? I made one, a little tiny one, a few years ago when Rodgers wasn't playing at an elite level, and I just posted it on Instagram, but I was going to go deeper into it, and for things like that, it'll go on YouTube, and then for other things, like maybe just a one-topic video about a specific thing, like, for example, today I'm going to talk about James Robinson and what his value is now that Travis Etienne is gone. Maybe on YouTube, if I wasn't going to talk about this in the podcast, I would do a 7 to 12-minute video, just basically giving my thoughts on James Robinson and why I think he is X value or whatever. So just random stuff that I think is is basically a one topic video or something that I'm not going to go too deep in on the podcast. I'll, I'll do more on the YouTube channel. Basically, there will be I'm going to try and do daily videos, at least one video aside from the podcast every day on the YouTube channel. And um, yeah, so that's all set up. It's, it's just got to go, go over there. It's actually my friend. Um, his apartment, he gave me the spare bedroom in there. And he's like, dude, just let's set this up and make a studio for you. Let's get fair shake going to going to the moon. So I'm like, wow, that's that's awesome of him. And uh, yeah, I'm ready to get rolling. So we're going to start that very, very soon. We just got to put a couple finishing touches on the room. And uh, yeah. So anyways, let's get into this topics here today. So Sony Michelle was just traded to the Los Angeles Rams. First things first, right, uh, in terms of just real football, it makes a ton of sense. Why? And I know a lot of people were really into the seventh-round pick that the Rams had. Jake Funk, I believe was his name, kid from um, somewhere near Baltimore, I think, if I remember correctly. And Oh, Maryland, Maryland. Maryland University, I think. And then they also, like, there were some of them liking Xavier Jones, right, the, the undrafted rookie free agent. Well, this just shows, and it makes perfect sense, that – they needed an upgrade at least at the bare minimum as they are at, at the RB2 spot, meaning, you know, um, just you're not going to go into a season typically with a relatively unproven starter at a particular position, which is Daryl Henderson, and then a seventh rounder in a UDFA. Like that's just not quality roster building, not quality depth. So from that standpoint, adding a former first round pick in Sony Michelle is something I think makes a ton of sense. Now, when you look at the history of the Rams, right? They're they're mainly under Sean McVay. They are a they gonna they're gonna feature the the number one guy, right? They're gonna feature whoever their number one guy is for the most part. They did so last year with Cam Akers. They did so before that with Daryl Henderson when when Akers was out. And 
of course, Todd Gurley was the guy there and then back in the day. Also, I want you to think about this. Think about the similarities, and I think there are some, in a guy like Sonny Michelle, if anything were to happen to Daryl Henderson for the Rams, with a guy like C.J. Anderson. Remember when C.J. Anderson came in, he was the guy. Uh, and it was actually weird because he was extremely productive in, with the Rams. And then the very next year, like no one wanted him. Right. He, he was like, I thought he'd be a hot commodity. He ended up going to Carolina to be, you know, basically a backup running back. And then he got released and basically hasn't really stuck to any team since. And he ended, ended up retiring. And I think this is all before he was 30 years old. But the point I'm making is this. If the NFL didn't think very highly of C.J. Anderson then, and the NFL probably isn't super high on Sonny Michelle, if anything happens to Daryl Henderson or if Daryl Henderson doesn't play all that well, don't be surprised if if Sony Michelle is a legit RB two in this offense because I think that he's a he's a decent player he's a good player he's never been quite as explosive as a lot of us thought he would be coming out of the the draft or whatever because I really liked him I thought he was slightly better than Nick Chubb shows I missed badly on that eval but the point I'm making is um, Sony Michelle has talent. And what he did as a rookie in New England was awfully impressive. And Adam Schefter just tweeted out that he, Sonny Michelle actually scored the only touchdown of that Super Bowl that they played against each other, the Patriots and Rams, back in the day or a couple of years ago. And that was in Sonny's rookie year where he absolutely carried the Patriots in uh, the playoffs especially. So Sonny Michelle to the Rams, I think that it makes a ton of sense from a football standpoint, just from a legitimate roster-building angle. And it also makes sense in terms of like, look, if you're going to say Daryl Henderson is, is the starter, which I think he is, um, I, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty damn confident he is. I don't think Sony's going to eat into his workload like that. But what this does for the Rams is it basically replaces Malcolm Brown. You know, just that guy that if you need a sledgehammer, you've got one. Maybe there will be a, a week where uh, Henderson's not playing all that well. Sony comes in, takes 12 carries, catches two or three passes you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I noticed that Sony, I think, had four catches the other day in the preseason game. So maybe they were trying to show that he can catch the football. That's something that I saw on his college tape at Georgia. He could catch the football, right? So I think that, you know, that's something that makes sense for the Rams to potentially utilize in some way, shape, or form. And Daryl Henderson's not the biggest guy. So maybe Sony will have a little bit of a role. But all in all, I don't think this hurts Daryl Henderson. I think this actually helps him because in most cases, in the far majority of cases, competition at a position brings out the best. You see that with Cam Newton and Mac Jones, right? And let's actually use that as my segue into that topic. So Cam, I guess, I don't know if he went somewhere to, that he wasn't allowed to take a test or whatever, if he, if he left the, the bubble that they're supposed to stay in. I don't know. But look, Cam doesn't want the vaccine, apparently. I'm not going to look. I'm a kind of person where I do this. I don't step out of my lane. If you don't want something in your body, that's your choice. I keep doing me. You know what I mean? I'm not going to judge him for it. Um, Cam's obviously a very health conscious individual. He, for whatever reason, doesn't feel like taking it. And so the unfortunate part about that, however, is he will be subject to these types of uh, you know instances like where Cole Beasley in Buffalo, he had to Basically, he's got to take the mandatory five days off because he was a close contact or whatever. The one thing I will say that doesn't make a ton of sense, in my opinion, just being the regular average Joe, 
with an opinion <laughs> is that Cole Beasley being a close contact, even though he tested negative, and whereas if you're a close contact but you're vaccinated, then you don't have to take the mandatory five days off. However, you could still be carrying the virus, like it's the same, and you can still pass the virus along. So, and I understand the vaccine is very effective from the standpoint that it greatly decreases the the chances of your uh, symptoms being harmful, right? So that's very important. But in terms of carrying it, which I think is the point in this situation, right? You don't want Colby's to be carrying it, even though he doesn't have any symptoms and he's testing negative for it, maybe you know, it, it shows up later or whatever. I think that that rule is sort of suspect just simply because a vaccinated person can also carry it and a vaccinated person can also just have it in general, right? So um, I think that the NFL, at some point or another, I would expect that to be talked about, at least from the standpoint of like, maybe this is a dumb rule. Maybe if you're going to have that rule, maybe just have it in place for everyone because even vaccinated players can have the virus and can carry it or whatever and, and transmit it to other guys. So anyways, let's talk. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about uh, James Robinson. Sorry, James Robinson. This guy, if you drafted before, uh, <laughs> if you drafted before uh, the Travis 18 injury, that means you got James Robinson in either the fourth or fifth round. And most likely everyone that saw your draft said, Ha ha ha! You you got James Robinson. He sucks, right? You, Travis Etienne's the guy there. Well, I was really really looking forward to seeing exactly how that whole battle transpired in terms of like a first rounder by a new regime in Travis Etienne competing with an undrafted free agent from another uh, regime after that UDFA just had one of the most productive rookie seasons by a running back in the last ten years. You know, and, and that's just it's a very unique situation. And I think that when I looked at Travis Etienne and James Robinson and how they complemented each other from a skill set standpoint, it always made sense to me. I looked at them and I liken them to and I've said it many times, Alvin Kamara rookie season with Mark Ingram there. Right. I mean, James Robinson to Mark Ingram combina- uh, comparison, I think, is a justified one. They're very similar backs in, in many ways. Big guys that can also catch the football and can run you the hell over. Um, and then Travis Etienne is more of the Alvin Kamara body type, about six foot tall, 5'11", or whatever it is, 200 pounds. You know, he's going to – he can really catch the football, which is something that Etienne really worked on throughout his career at Clemson. So I thought that was impressive. But – and this is why you draft the best player available, guys, whether it be running back in the first round, whatever. You draft the best player available. And why is that? Because guys get hurt. And guess who in particular gets hurt? Running backs get hurt. So when James Robinson was sitting there coming off of one of the best rookie seasons by running back in the last 10 years, and you spent a first-round pick on a running back, people were like, what the hell? What are we doing here? However, it's just as likely that James Robinson could have been the one to get hurt. That's why you spend that first-round pick on a running back. A couple years ago, the Panthers had a guy named Kelvin Benjamin who was coming off of a 1,000-yard rookie season. And I think he even had like nine or 10 touchdowns as a rookie. He had a phenomenal first couple seasons. He then, the Panthers draft Devin Funches in the second round. You're saying, hey, that's a bit redundant. Well, Dave Gettleman's reasoning and rationale at the draft at the time was, hey, if Kelvin gets hurt, I want to have somebody that can that can play Kelvin's role. Devin Funches is a guy that has played at that point tight end 
you know, slot receiver outside all of the positions of receiver. So it made sense. That's kind of what you do. You're, you're saying, I'm not just drafting to be a compliment. I'm also drafting to be a replacement in some cases, right? That's why we're going to take best guy available. Now, granted, Devin Funches in the second round may not have been the best player available in that draft in hindsight. But if that's what your board tells you to do, then that's what you do. And I don't fault the pick at all for that reason. I think Devin Funches also had a pretty productive rookie season and a couple other seasons in Carolina where he was pretty productive. So in this case, I think that you're we're all seeing now why James, I mean, uh, Travis Etienne was a first round pick. Okay. Because that could have just as easily been James Robinson, but it wasn't. So now guess what? You didn't just have one running back and then spread yourselves extremely thin after that. You have two because you took the best player available and I still don't disagree that that was Travis Etienne at that point. And, you know, now you have James Robinson still in place to carry the load. And maybe you'll sign another, you'll probably sign another running back to kind of come in and be that second guy. But what does this mean for James Robinson's draft status in terms of fantasy, right? Like, because in my drafts, if you're in my leagues, which I have three of them, um, you know that I don't draft until after the preseason, basically, or after the third preseason game, which in this case, I believe is after the preseason altogether. Uh, because I think there's only three games this year. But the point is this. I like this because now in all of my leagues, because I'm also in another league that also drafts around the same same time, we are going to get to see what James Robinson's actual value is being that he's the starting, the lead guy in Jacksonville. And that's where I'm very interested in, right? Would you rather have, I'm going to pose these hypothetical questions because I know you can't exactly respond to me, right? (laughs) But would you rather have James Robinson in a backfield that he owns almost all of the, the shares of or Nick Chubb in a backfield that he obviously is going to split essentially at best Chubb will get 60% of the snaps at absolute best last year. He played 49% hunt played 51. I'm not saying that hunt is the guy to own in Cleveland. I actually think the opposite. I think that I'm actually good on cream hunt. Whereas last year in the sixth or seventh round, I was all in on cream hunt this year. I'm backing up off of that because his ADP has gone up to the fourth round. I'd much rather draft a guy like Allen Robinson in the fourth round. But the point I'm making is this, guys. James Robinson was the RB6 last year in half PPR points per game, averaged over 16 a game. James Robinson, as I've mentioned a couple times already on this podcast, had one of the best rookie seasons by a running back in the last 10 years. You can say whatever you want to try and discredit them. Oh, he's in un- he, he was undrafted free agent. They drafted a running back in the first round, whatever. James Robinson was just voted into the top 100, allegedly by his peers. I don't know if the players actually vote on that. But the point is, James Robinson is a respected player from a talent standpoint. He is a undeniably, in my opinion, at least a top 100 player in the NFL. Before the draft, I called him a poor man's Ezekiel Elliott. I thought he was very similar stylistically to Zeke and skill set wise. He could catch the football like the dude was not one of those big guys with stone hands. He can catch the football and he did that as a rookie. Just so you know, it is not easy for a rookie running back to come into the NFL and understand what's happening well enough to be in during pass protection. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire could not stay on the field in those situations last year. James Robinson, a UDFA, could He could also catch the football. He was very effective. I think he had like 50 or 60 catches. So 
when you're looking at it now, James Robinson clearly being the guy, is he worthy of a first round pick in fantasy drafts if you're drafting now, right? I don't even know who their other running backs are. I should probably know that considering I call myself an analyst. I don't know. And guess what else? I don't care. I don't care because I know this much. They spent a first round pick on Travis Etienne. James Robinson is awesome. We saw it last year. He's a top 100 player. James Robinson is going to eat 70% at minimum of that workload. So if Chubb at best is getting 60%, and I'm not even necessarily over here to make the argument that I'm taking Robinson over Chubb, but what I am going to tell you is this is just to me seems factual or objectively true. James Robinson will see at least 70% of the workload, maybe not the snaps, but 70% of the workload by running backs will be James Robinson's this year in Jacksonville. Nick Chubb will play an at best 60% of the workload, 60% of the snaps in Cleveland because Kareem Hunt's there. Of course, if Hunt gets hurt, whatever, you know, that changes everything. But the point I'm at, it, like, this is with, we don't assume injuries because that's a very slippery slope. And so <clears throat> to me, James Robinson is undeniably a first round player. So I'm going to have to redo my running back rankings as I knew I would anyway. So I'm not really stressing about it. And I'm going to have to put James Robinson in that top 10 range because, and this is not exact. I might look at it and say, oh, no, never mind. He's not, he doesn't fit in there. But I'm just looking at it, guys. And would you rather have James Robinson or Clyde Edwards Elaire? I think I'd rather have James. And I think Clyde right now is my RB12. Would you rather have James Robinson or Aaron Jones? That's interesting, right? Because Jones is in a backfield and he's all, to be fair, Jones has been in this kind of a backfield all the time or his entire career with someone, someone else is going to play 40 plus percent of the snaps. And that guy happens to be AJ Dillon, a guy that the team just spent a second round pick on just last year. So, you know, they want to get him involved because that word intent is always one that we value in terms of trying to project workload and stuff like that. So, you know, I think that that's very much up for debate. The only problem with James Robinson is that he plays for the Jaguars. And I'm not saying because they have a bad offensive line, because contrary to popular belief, they don't. Their offensive line is pretty good. The Saints are just really good as a pass rush. So don't, don't like, let's not bury the Jacksonville offensive line because they got beat up on by a really good pass rush in a preseason game. I think that the worry I'm citing here is that they're playing on a team that's probably not going to be playing from ahead a whole bunch. However, last year they were bad. They were the worst team in football, actually, worse than the Jets when it was all said and done, record-wise at least, right? So if James Robinson could sustain RB6 production in half PPR fantasy points per game, he was the RB6 last year on the worst team in football, and they haven't added anyone. <laughs> well, they did, but obviously that didn't last long. They haven't added anyone that's going to take away his workload by week one. So what does that mean for him? And in my opinion, that means that he's a first-round running back. That means that he's a top-10 guy. That means that he is potentially going to finish as the RB6 again. 
Would it be out of the realm of possibility for James Robinson to finish as a top five running back? Top three? Where's his ceiling? When I really think about it, right, I think his floor is probably a little bit lower than top 10, right? It's probably more like RB14 or something like that, just because it's hard to sustain that kind of production for two years in a row on a very bad team. However, the quarterback position, I believe, has upgraded. I think all you would agree with me. You guys love Trevor Lawrence. I like him. I think the quarterback position has upgraded in Jacksonville. That usually bodes well for running backs. I think that he's going to have to catch passes because he's going to have to catch passes now. No Travis Etienne there. It was a very, it was a very practical thought to assume that Etienne would would kind of own more of the receptions from that backfield there. There's no Etienne. Robinson has shown that he can catch passes. Uh, you know, having run, I mean, uh, running backs catch the football is usually a nice safety blanket for a young quarterback. That's who they have as a young quarterback. So that part of it makes sense. I mean, I, I, look, I could make the argument that James Robinson is easily the very best player on that offense in terms of skill player. I don't think that's a far-fetched argument at all. So if we say his floor, and I'm just kind of working through this off the top of my head. So I want to identify his floor and ceiling. And then later, at a later date before their, our drafts, I will uh, rank these guys again because obviously things change. But I think his floor to me is probably like RB15, which is a mid-range slash high-end RB2. That's his floor. Ceiling-wise, I'm going to say RB6. I'm going to say only RB6 simply because he was the RB6 last year. Call it RB7 because Christian McCaffrey's back this year. Floor of RB7. And the reason I say that is because that's what he did last year. And we, I mean, I would say that's kind of best case scenario because it's very difficult if they're going to be a bad team. It's very difficult to, you know, to, to sustain that kind of production over the, over the course of a season with a bad team as a running back. But I think that he's going to catch a lot of passes. I think maybe not as many as last year, but I think 45 to 50 at minimum. They don't have anybody else. They don't have anybody that's better than him. And here's the reason why. He's really good in pass protection. So even if they sign Naheem Hines, right, I'm still going to pencil James Robinson in. I don't know. Hines is not a free agent. I'm just saying. The point. I'm just making a point. James Robinson is really good in pass protection. Therefore, he's going to be on the football field during passing situations. Because guess what you've got to protect? The number one overall draft pick, Trevor Lawrence. So you're going to want a running back in there that can protect the passer. And at times, that will mean he's also eligible to catch the football, right? So James Robinson is going to catch 40-plus passes now. James Robinson went from a guy that we were hoping to get the early down short yardage workload from to a guy that's going to be the bona fide feature back in that offense. And here's the other part of it. Jacksonville signed James Robinson as an undrafted rookie free agent, right? What's to stop them, considering they just spent a first-round pick on Travis Etienne, what's to stop them from just running him into the ground? And I don't, you know, I'm not trying to sound insensitive to James Robinson's career right now, but, like, 
there's no, it's not like they have some crazy investment up in him, right? They invested into James. They have a, you, they sign him on UDFA tender. He's probably making $700,000 a year. And his contract is expiring after 2022, or at least in a restricted way. But I think it's very possible. And I think James Robinson would actually prefer this because he wants to show what he can do. I think a full workload makes a ton of sense. He may have the fullest workload, or at least the top top five in that regard, the safest workload of any running back in fantasy football. So to me, I know a lot of people were saying they would take him in the second round. If I get James Robinson in the second round of a draft now or later, I'm very, very excited. Very. I mean, imagine this. Imagine going Devontae Adams and then being able to pull off something like Antonio Gibson and James Robinson in the in rounds two, three, or whatever. I, I think that obviously James is probably not going to be available in the third round, but I still think it's possible. Or having a late first round pick and taking James Robinson, Antonio Gibson, Clyde edwards Lair, because we know the receiver position gets very interesting in rounds four, five, six. You can end up with Allen Robinson, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, or I guess you wouldn't want Woods and Cup, but you could end up with something like Allen Robinson, Robert Woods, DJ Moore, slash Deontay Johnson. That right there would be, or CD Lamb, you know what I mean, in, in the fourth round if you don't like A-Rob. But for me, I definitely do. And so, yeah, that's what I've got, man. I think that James Robinson's floors is RB15, ceiling RB7. C-Mac is returning, so we got to give C-Mac the nod ahead of him. In ter- I'm sorry, in terms of ceiling. But yeah, man, so would I take a guy like that in the first round? You're damn right I would. Do I think I can get him in the second? I think I can. Because the drafting of Travis Etienne in the first round kind of fucks up his perception, right? In terms of like, we're not going to overvalue James Robinson because we're like, yeah, but they drafted a running back in the first round. So it's kind of like it dilutes him just enough to where I think he'll he'll be available in round two. I expect 300 plus touches for James Robinson in 2021. And things, if you've already drafted and you've got him in the fourth or fifth round, congratulations, because things just got a, a whole lot more interesting. Anyways, guys, that's the end of this podcast. I love you. I'll see you tomorrow. Peace.